Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about college football, college basketball, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 248. All right, let's do a 3-2-1. Abu Sama III broke three records this past week during the, in my opinion, best unprotected rivalry in college football, Farmageddon 2023. He ran for 276 yards, which was the most in a road game, fourth most in a game, and most ever by a freshman in Iowa State school history. That's, that's three records he just broke. He was named Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week and Newcomer of the Week. That's two awards. And finally, he is the first player in school history to have a game with three rushing touchdowns of 50 yards or more. Three, two, one. I stopped. Yeah, especially since they were all 60 yards or more. So mm-hmm. That's true. But he set the record at 50 with 60. <laughs> Why didn't he set the record at 60 then? I mean, he could have, but I think the last one was 49. Oh, wow. He should get all of it. I have I have a bonus Iowa State fact as well, if you want it. Uh, Do it. Probably last week or the week before, I was just perusing some information, looking at Emmett Smith's rushing numbers, because who doesn't just look at rushing yardage numbers when they're bored? Um, and then I was curious, how many people have run for 2,000 yards in college? Because it's pretty rare in the NFL. Um, 29 times over the... NCAA history have college running backs run for 2,000 yards in a season or more. And uh, Iowa Davis. State has two of those 29 times, which I thought was pretty cool. And yeah, Kyle said it right. That is a Troy Davis. Uh, he is number eight all time with 2,185 yards in 1996. And he's also number 26 with 2,010 yards in 1995. And I was looking at that and those back-to-back years with 2,000 yards, I I think that's the most rushing yardage over a two-year span ever in college or the NFL. I looked into it a little bit. I couldn't find anybody that's done more. I mean, just the um, the very few amounts of 2K seasons in rushing. It almost has to be. So I, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but about 99, that uh, an Iowa State running back has the most yardage over a two-year span in any NFL or NCAA yeah. two seasons. Interesting. And in the NFL, obviously, you have more games, too. So that's way more yardage per game. I mean, the only reason I knew that had to be Troy Davis was because Abu Sama being, what, fourth most ever in a road game, they put up the stat where the three above him were Troy (laughs) Davis. And I was like, well, it has to be Troy Davis then. Which is crazy, because I don't feel like I really hear a lot about Troy Davis. Like, he doesn't come up a lot when you talk about Iowa State football. And that surprises me looking at all of his numbers. Well, because he's kind of an talks odd guy. Because he did this talks for about two Seneca years. Wallace. Yeah. Right. He had one year where he was barely used. Two years where obviously he goes bananas and goes for over two thousand yards. Goes to the N- the NFL and then really doesn't do a lot there. These two years were basically just like almost a flash in the pan, and he never did as much other than that. So kind of an odd thing. That definitely is interesting, though. That's for sure. Yeah. So, and, and those are just some of the stats from an absolutely crazy game, Farmageddon matchup, where the Cyclones knocked off the Wildcats by a final score of 42-35. to 35. I mean, 
can we can name as many stats as as you want here, but I mean none of them will fully encapsulate that game. The snow, I I hardly ever knew where the ball was on the field. Because yeah, you couldn't tell. Like, I, I was, knew like I knew the down and distance, but I could never figure out where they were on the field. Right. I was gonna message you guys about that and be like, is it hard for anybody else to tell if we're on the 30, the 50, or the opponent's 30? <laughs> yeah. Like it, it was tough to tell that all night long. And the only time I knew where we somewhat were on the field was I was like, oh, it looks like all the players are standing about midfield on their sideline, so maybe this ball's at midfield. Or when I could see the goal line, yeah, very clearly. In, in I was like hoping the shot. they would maybe like dust out the midfield logo so I could at least have some grounding to know on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was an odd, odd watching experience for sure. Just being like, well, I know that we have six yards, but are we on the forty? Are we on the thirty-five? Are we on their forty? I don't really know at all. They yeah, did at least a- mark off the uh, the X's that are on the forty-yard line. Yeah, where the ball's the placed, which helped, and but but it tripped up a lot of TV guys too. They stopped showing it, but they were trying to say like they were on the K State forty five or they on the Iowa State thirty, right? And they got it wrong half the time. It was just like you said, a very interesting watching experience. You know, there's no first down line, there's no line of scrimmage except for that one time where the TV announcer tried to draw it on the screen. Like it was very interesting, especially with us in white uniforms too. Mm-hmm. That was great. But I, what I was going to say, I guess, is there to Mike's point, there weren't many stats to encapsulate the game. But one of the craziest stats was Iowa State ended up only running, what, four or four? five offensive plays on the K-State side of the field, like the entire game, mm-hmm. which is crazy that we scored 42 points off of that. But yeah, they had more as we alluded to, it was plays in enemy territory. Right. It was and zero crazy plays in the, the, red the zone. yardage that we gained because of that all those plays zero plays in the red zone too like i mean if you just look at any of these stats you'd assume we got killed we had two turnovers to their one we had 10 first downs to their 32 i'm a possession time of possession was 42 yeah. minutes to k-state 18 minutes for us like if you just look at those you're like yeah we got we, we got killed but yeah, we didn't because the, the big plays it was just big play everywhere. It was incredible. Yeah, it's hard the, to even the, state how ridiculous all these big plays were. If you just received a kickoff and held it down, you get it up to the 25, right? So if you just ran one play and scored, that would be a 75-yard play. We had multiple touchdowns longer than that. We had three touchdowns that were longer than if you just knelt the ball down for a fair catch and just ran one play. There was a 71 yards. 77 yards, 79 yards, 60 yards, a little baby 33-yard touchdown, and then an 82-yard touchdown. Like, I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, I, and so this was really interesting to me, and, and I messaged everyone about this, and I have a lot of witnesses to attest to this. I was, like, screaming at that first Abu Sama long touchdown run. I was like, it happened again. It happened again. Like I said on the podcast last week, we will like this isn't going to be a game in which you see a 75 yard touchdown run on the first play from scrimmage like with Brees Hall as your running back like we saw two years ago when we traveled to K-State. Well, what was it? Second or third play from scrimmage for us? We ran it 
75 yards or 77 yards for a touchdown. He basically didn't even get touched that play. I think one guy right. maybe brushed him, and then he just ran to the end zone all and it was by himself. straight up the gut, too. Yeah. Yeah, he broke one leg tackle, and then he was gone. I mean, it was a, it was a fun game to watch. It probably was not a fun game to watch if you're a K-State fan, but uh, just long play after long play, like we're trying to do that. I mean, it was certainly exciting watching him sprint down the snowy field. As you said, who knows exactly where they are. I just want to see it get to the end zone at some point. It pops into the screen, and you're like, they're going to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they they won with 42 points. Uh, the over-under for this game was 46 and a half. So a lot of points, a lot more points scored than anybody thought was going to be. That's for Especially sure. in that weather. Like, yeah. even if this was like a 70 and sunny game, this these big plays were crazy. Thing. And to do it in this weather, yeah, just just amazing. Just amazing. But, yeah, I mean, that puts a wrap on the regular season. Does anyone want to talk a little bit more about this game before we wrap the regular season here? Um, the only thing I was going to say was, real quick, so I'm, I'm filling this a little bit, but Rocco Becht has ended up having some decent numbers this season. And I saw a tweet on this um, and wanted to pull this up. For as much as I have been a skeptic or dogged him a couple of times in, in a few weeks where he hasn't looked great, his season stats turn out to be this. 2,674 yards passing, completing 63.5% of his passes, 20 touchdowns, only eight interceptions, positive touchdown interception ratio, 147 QBR, and less than one sack taken per game. So if you were to scale out, and by no means am I saying he is this type of quarterback, but what type of like territory is he in across the country? If you evaluate every quarterback in college football on that same criteria, the only other guys who qualify are Carson Beck, quarterback for the number one team in the country, Georgia, Bo Nix, Heisman frontrunner potentially, quarterback for Oregon, and Michael Penix Jr., Heisman candidate, uh, quarterback for college football playoff team, Washington potentially. So he's in some rarefied air. Now, is he that type of player no but he has been efficient when he's needed to be um obviously the run game has helped him out a lot so far like throughout the season but this brings a lot of promise for him going into you know next year as we look forward as we kind of wrap up the end of the season so i just thought that stat brought a lot you know to the table and was just really interesting to see kind of how he stacks up around the country and how we don't really think about him in that you know air as much so but I just want to say like to wrap up the season like most importantly coming out of this Chris Williams said this Iowa State capped off a seven and five regular season after a tumultuous offseason losing five starters a week before the season and a horrible horrible loss to Ohio in September um, we started six true freshmen in this game, but like the future looks bright going forward. So it, that's, it, that's what we have to say about that. Yeah. And I mean, huge success of a season, right? This is a team that was projected to finish 10th in the big 12 in the preseason. They finished fourth. Um, right. I mean, just that alone 
just finishing fourth in the Big 12 for Iowa State is a success, regardless of anything. Like, just start, stop there. That's a successful season. Yes, it had its disappointing moments, and yes, we certainly could have done better, but successful season. There's, there's no really other way to phrase it. It's a successful season. Yeah, when you got that news at the beginning of the season and seeing that we are going to be without our starting quarterback and our starting running back for what we expected and st- in this and, year. And our starting tight end. Yes, and, and some starting alignment, alignment and I think somebody mm-hmm. else too. Like you said, five starters. Uh, this seemed like a disaster for a team that was not really that great last year. So tons of credit to, obviously, Campbell. And uh, also credit to Nate Schielhaas, who I was dogging on at the beginning of the year when our offense looked horrible. It got better as the season went on. Had some hiccups, but it's looked a lot better, and it looked a lot better than it did last year. So I'm hoping that that keeps up and he looks good. And obviously Rocco, Rocco is like the definition of doing things quietly. Like you never think he has a good game, and then you look at the box score and you're like, oh, that's pretty good actually. And that's been his whole season. Mm -hmm. One thing that I do want to touch on before we – yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say to that point, and then you can continue on – the, the thing about him doing it quietly is that's why we're always so quick to pick out the like the glaring negatives, right? The mm-hmm. pick sixes that have happened, the bad interceptions. It's like, oh, those are horrible. When in reality, he's just been consistently steady and just goes about it and like plays well um, and just is really kind of has been this year a game manager. Um that's why we those stick out and it kind of makes you realize oh my gosh yeah he has been really consistent and we haven't been able to dog on him much except for those like four or five plays throughout the season that we can pinpoint and say wow those are horrible so yeah but yeah one thing that i wanted to point out that they said during the broadcast which i think we all talked about and thought was kind of weird they said uh, in this abu sama breakout game uh, Cartivius Norton and Eli Sanders did not even make the trip to Manhattan. They just didn't show mm-hmm. up. And uh, seemingly to enter the transfer portal, I guess, Cartavius Norton is already in the transfer portal. I don't think Eli Sanders is in yet. Uh, but it just struck me as odd that they just didn't even come with the team. That is a very odd report to me. I don't know if that's standard. That happens at other teams, but I thought it was kind of weird. And to me, it seems like there are enough carries to go around that, you know, they could get some run in, even though Abu is going to be probably RB1 going forward. Uh, but yeah, that that was a little odd to me, at least. I don't think I've heard that before with this team. Yeah, especially because it's not like when for thinking about them in the transporter, it's not like they will lighten it up this season, right? Yeah. Uh, the, reason, the reason this team, like I said, very successful season, the reason this team wasn't even better is that we couldn't run the ball most of the year. So it's not like uh, Sanders and Norton were lighting it up uh this season prior to uh prior to him taking over so yeah just weird but we'll we'll keep track of all of that here over the next week or so i assume a lot of transfer portal decisions are going to come here in the next week or two um and then we will we will see how it goes any other thoughts on cycling football before we move on to the basketball team nope yeah i don't think so the yeah well for the basketball team it was not as good of a week. It was sort of up and down weekend at the uh, ESPN Invitational. Um, in game one, they had a big comeback against VCU um, to win that first game. Um, Taman Lipsy, a huge game in that one. 
um, which was the reason, and huge second half especially, the reason we were able to come back and win um, that game against VCU. Um, and Virginia, against Virginia Tech in round two was sort of the opposite. We couldn't um, couldn't come back to uh, to uh, make the big comeback there in game two. And uh, game three against Texas A&M, we blew a 21-point first half lead. We got up to a 21-point lead at one point in the first half. It was trimmed to 10 by halftime and ended up losing the game by, what was it, about four or five? Um, so just, yeah, up up and down week. Um, I'll let Kyle break down each of the games individually. I think he watched them a little bit closer than me. But my overall take is I think this team is more talented, especially offensively, than um, previous teams in previous uh, in the last couple of years. Can they put it together, though? They got more talent. They're not using it well enough yet. So, yeah, that was especially glaring against Texas A&M. Um, but we'll get into a little bit more. So in v, uh, in the game against VCU, like Mike said, Iowa State really had to have some some huge resolve in this game in order to come back and uh, get into this game. Um, shots weren't falling from the outside for this team. Uh, they were not shooting the ball well, especially from three. Only two of 13 from the three-point line all night at 50-15%. They were not especially shooting the ball well from the free throw line, either 18 of 30. Um, and that just ultimately hurt them. But they were able to come back and, and really make this a good game in large part due to the fact that they forced a lot of turnovers and had a positive turnover ratio in this game. They only had seven turnovers while forcing VCU into 16. And they had 42 points in the paint. This team... That stat right there is a opposite stat from teams that we have seen in the past. This we have never really been a points in the paint team, um, even dating back to the the days of Jamil McKay down. Like we just didn't score like inside the paint. It was all outside shooting, um, and it kind of has been like that's been the the mo of Iowa State programs recently. But when the shots weren't falling, they were at least getting to the line. Uh, creating fouls, getting to the free throw line, and making at least a few free throws that got him back in the game. VCU, obviously, probably one of the, the lesser talented teams in that tournament, which helped in that. Now, we finally met our match against Virginia Tech, obviously, who had played really well in this tournament. Um, overall, they shot 87% from the free throw line, got there 23 times, uh, they were they were making a lot of three pointers, eleven on the night. Where Iowa State again, five of twenty one from the three point line, not a great showing there either. Lipsy had another great game, um, and so did Momchilovich, but it just wasn't enough. There wasn't enough scoring from other places. Trey King tried to uh, do it the best that he could, but there was no bench scoring uh, at all. Like the starters were the bulk majority of the scoring there. And it just was the the lead was too far too much for that team going through that game. Now against Texas A and M, probably the most frustrating game that we played. Um, it felt like we were trying to find our footing in the first two games of this tournament, but then with Texas A and M, it looked like we were finally putting all of those pieces together. We absolutely dominated the first seventeen and a half minutes of this game. 
to the point in which we had that 21-point lead. We then, for a two-and-a-half-minute stretch, went cold. We're turning the ball over a ton, making poor decisions on the offensive end, and it just led to momentum to Texas A&M that they took into halftime, started the second half with, and carried it through the, with like throughout the game. We initially started really well from the three-point line in the first half, but we shot... 34 threes in this game. 34. For it, for what I had said, we made our living in the paint. We only had 18 points in the paint against Texas A&M, but we're jacking up 34 threes in this game when we were only making 26% of them. Our calling card to get back into games is not going to be from the three-point line. It's getting into the paint, getting foul, foul calls, and getting to the line and making free throws. That's also another aspect of it. We need to make free throws. 67% from the line. I mean, we had Tame and Lipsy the walk up and missed two. We, yeah, we had Tame and Lipsy walk up, missed two. He missed one out of two on the next possession as well. It was not great. Like, the guards themselves can't shoot. Curtis Jones was not able to shoot. Robert Jones actually was better from the free throw line in this game than some of our guards. That's unexcusable or inexcusable. Robert Jones is outside of Tame and Lipsy. Robert Jones has been to me the most improved and impressive player on this team. Yeah, like, Robert Jones has been we, like we, one we, of our best players. We, we have we have we have dogged him plenty on this podcast and deservedly so for a lot of them. But he's been he's been I won't say really good this year, but he's been solid this year. I think he's we, been really good for the role that he plays. He's shooting well from the field. He has a positive assist to turnover ratio. He's playing good defense. He's gotten more rebounds this year than last year. He's, he's doing exactly he's what we asked him to do. He's dunking the ball and finishing at the rim. No more of these stupid clumsy it outside foot. the paint on the elbow. Yeah. It, so he has actually been a bright spot. But the problem, one of the problems that I actually saw summed up really well, I forget who said this, but credit to them. It doesn't matter. Uh, we seem to have three guards who think they are the main scoring option on this team, and that is not the case. And that's a hard thing to live by when there's really only one who is the main scoring option on this team. Taman Lipsy should be the only guard who is the go-to scoring option outside of Milan Momchilovic or getting it down low to Trey King, Robert Jones, Hassan Ward when he comes back. Um oh. Trey King, King is Gilbert. part of the problem. Trey King has not been good, in my opinion, this year. Sure, sure. But when he does have some opportunities down low, he sometimes he's somewhat efficient down there. But they had like Keyshawn Gilbert in this game played out of control for about 70% of the minutes that he played. He was forcing the ball. He was getting in too deep, jumping up in the air, throwing errant passes. He had seven or eight turnovers in this game that were atrocious they led to a lot like the a lot of that large run that texas a&m had going into the half um he was just playing outside of his control and it was not a great look curtis jones made one three in the first half and thought he was jimmer for he shot a three from the logo for no reason like you are not a scoring option i don't care if you scored 35 in italy that's not like the competition of um, power five basketball that, that can't be your calling card. Um, just it, 
even Taman Lipsy was having uncharacteristic turnovers. Iowa State, who we all say, like with defense as being the calling card of Otzel Ball, weren't able to live up to that. 16 turnovers for this team in this game compared to only forcing 13 from Texas A&M just isn't going to cut it. Um, we need to score well from the free throw line. We need to get points off. We need to beat other teams in points off turnovers and fast break points and obviously have more turnovers. You know, that that's kind of what we do. That is our calling card. And we have areas that we need to get much better in. And, and that's just it. We learned a lot about this team in this tournament. Yes, we played cupcakes in the first four games of this season but we actually played some real talent. We saw a game where we had some resolve and we saw the, like the complete opposite against Texas A&M. I watched this team crumble. Like we won the first 17 and a half minutes of that game. And we lost the last 23 and a half minutes of the game by far. Um, so it, it was truly a tale of two halves. Uh, and, you know, we'll see kind of how we pull things together a little bit coming out of this. I think it was a good early season, you know, test for this team to hopefully motivate us and and pull us together as more of a unit as we get closer to Big 12 play um, and to some tough games that we'll face in the week ahead. But overall, an up and down week in the tournament. And yeah, we finally see how we stack up against ta- like actual talent going forward. I think it's interesting that both you and Mike have said that this was an up and down week. To me, this was like a down and down week. How was the up and down that we had to fight for our lives versus a VCU team? Like, it's three and two at the time. They're not a good team. They weren't a good team then. We barely beat them. We shot 15% from the field and then followed that up by or 15% from three. The up and down that I see 23% and 25 or 26%. Like this team does not look good. This team has not looked good. The up and down I see though, is the glimpses of a complete team in those moments. Like I see those moments where this team is like, yes, this could be a team that puts up a good fight in big 12 play and could be, you know, uh, play spoiler in some games and maybe be, you know, a seven, eight, nine seed in the tournament. But there are like those instances where it's like, this is just painstaking to watch this style of play that we aren't accustomed to. And and the reason I said up and down, right, is because I saw offensive potential that I just hadn't seen for the last two years on this team. And that's why I sit up and down because I still see that offensive potential and we haven't put it together yet. Right. Can, can we put it together? I, I don't know. Who, maybe we can. Has and maybe potential? this team is just average. Monchilovic has the potential. I mean, Lipsy yeah. has taken a huge step forward. We've Lipsy's seen Trey right, King. Yeah. We've seen Trey King be better than he's played. Right. Yeah, Omaha Baloo is a five star prospect and he's done nothing. Yeah. That's my thing, too. Right? Omaha Baloo is supposed that's to be this dope. guy. He's barely getting more minutes than Jackson Pat- Avaletsky recently like I'm not in that I'm, that worries me a lot we have seen I'm still I'm I'm starting to wonder if Omaha Baloo might be a bust yeah and that's, that's what I'm worried about too dreadful player like, you know uh Otzelberger is not a guy who won't play rookies or anything like that we saw that with Taman Lipsy last year 
We've seen that with Momchilovich this year. We see it with freaking Jackson Pavletsky. Who, I mean, he's not a freshman, but he's a guy who played at Wofford last year. And Omaha Belu's getting five minutes a game once we play real people, and he's put up zero points. That's incredibly concerning to me. I see a team that's shooting 31% on the year so far. We have one person on this team who has made double-digit amount of threes. We have one person on this team who's shooting like over 35% from three. We only have like two people who are shooting over 85%. You know, you can say that maybe it'll balance out with the three-pointers. But when your team shoots 67% from free free throw range, like those things are generally correlated. And if you're that awful at free throws, I believe that you're probably pretty awful at uh, three-pointers as well. I just see a lot of guys on this team, and none of them can shoot, except for Milan Momchilovic. I would bet that Taman Lipsy tends to get closer to what he was last year. I don't think he's going to shoot 35% this year, to be honest. Uh, I'm very worried about watching this team offensively. I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to be a great conference season, and it definitely concerns me. But maybe I'm just being really negative from those two games because it was a battle to win versus VCU, and it was a battle to lose versus Virginia Tech, and I unfortunately didn't get to watch the A&M game, but it doesn't sound like it would have been that fun either. I don't know. I just haven't seen like a lot other than Momchilovich looks pretty darn good, and Taman Lipsy has looked, I mean, more or less good, but I think it's been three games in a row where they say that's a lot of uncharacteristic turnovers for him at what point does that end up being characteristic if it's always happening yeah yeah well i mean i'm not saying it's gonna be awful but i'm just saying uh keep keep your eyes open yeah and we're gonna keep learning more about this team because it doesn't necessarily get easier from here you get uh you've got uh depaul on friday as the next game as part of the um what are they calling this? The, the Big, Big East, 12, Big 12 battle. Yeah. yeah, Battle, not challenge. Um, DePaul's not good. They're a major conference team, but they're not good. They're worse than any of the three teams we saw in this tournament. Now, it is a road game, um, but still they're not good, and this is a game we should, should win. I'm not saying we will, but we should win it. And then the Cyhawk is the game after that. So uh, the cupcakes don't come again for another couple weeks. So you've got to win some, uh, you got to beat some major conference teams here if you want to keep moving forward. Could be a five and four team going into cupcakes. And I mean, I, I hate to say it, but it's it's the reality of it. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on the uh, men's basketball team here? Keyshawn Gilbert, play slower, please, please. Yeah. Like I Most get of- it, you're fast, but don't like you can't have seven or eight turnovers in a game most of gilbert's benefit has been launching himself into people and getting free throws because he is really really good at getting free throws and he's the only one on our team who can make him so that's fine if anyone has seen like if anyone has not seen on gilbert play he reminds me of isaiah pacheco in the NFL, every <laughs> single run that he has. Like, that is how he dribbles the basketball down the lane and tries to get to the basket. Um, he uses his body basically as a torpedo. So, uh, yeah, it, it worked a couple of times against cupcakes, but it, it doesn't work once you get into into big boy ball. So, And I, I just really don't want to see Curtis Jones jack any more threes. He's really bad. 9 of 42 is especially pretty bad. Especially not from the logo. You're yeah. you're not Jimmer Fredette. 
please. Ideally, nowhere but standing still in a corner when it gets past you. And we'll, we'll start from there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you mentioned Isaiah Pacheco. You want to fill us in on what he and the rest of uh, the NFL did uh, you over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, so at least in this week in the NFL, week 13, it was a very normal week. Uh, the rundown is the Bills lose in overtime. The Chiefs beat the Raiders. The Cowboys and Dolphins beat up on bad teams. The Lions lose on Thanksgiving. And the Chargers keep finding new ways to lose. Like, it, it's just a normal week in the NFL for week 13. Um, fun fact, the Cowboys are in the playoff race, but still have yet to beat a team with a uh, winning record. So uh, we'll see how that bodes for them going forward throughout the season as they do have a tough schedule to end um, their season. So for everybody talking about how the Cowboys are having such a great year, at least keep that perspective in mind. They haven't beaten a lot of great teams so far. Uh, the playoff picture rundown, since we haven't kept people up to date uh, recently in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens uh, own the number one overall seed so far. Um, they have yet to have their buy, so they are nine and three on the season, while the Chiefs, Jags, and Dolphins all are uh, in that order, at, sitting at eight and three. All have had their buy. The Chiefs have beat the Jags and the Dolphins, so they own um, the head to head. Uh, tie break um, with those and why they are the two seed the Steelers uh, after firing Matt Canada um, go over 400 yards offensively for the first time since Matt Canada has been the uh, offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers um, they as they beat the Cincinnati Bengals this past weekend and then the Cleveland Browns and the Indianapolis Colts are currently in the playoff picture in the hunt uh, C.J. Stroud and the Texans um, in their, you know, retooled year. They were bad for a bunch of years. They've drafted, it seems like, really, really well. Uh, C.J. Stroud, Tank Dell, um, for, and Noah Brown headline that team. They're playing really well under D'Amico Ryans in his first year, I believe, as head coach in Houston. The Denver Broncos, who were making a mockery of to start the season when they lost, what, 70 to 20 to the Dolphins, have now turned things around. And yes, they are in the playoff picture ahead of the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. As right now, the, the Bills are uh, six and six so far in the season. So not, not a great time if you're a Bills fan um, as, as they have not, Played very well so far this season and find interesting ways to lose uh, a little bit of lack of trust I see in their quarterback and in their situations as I thought they should have gone for a chance to win in the, on a field goal in regulation with 20 seconds left but they chose not to against the Philadelphia Eagles this past weekend um, just a lot of interesting things happening up in Buffalo right now over on the NFC side of things, the Philadelphia Eagles are the first team to start 10-1 since the Buffalo Bills back in the 90s after losing uh, in the Super Bowl the year prior. Uh, they are playing really great football. They knocked off the Chiefs in Week 12 on Monday Night Football in what was a really good game. Uh, two rainy, cold, floppy games in a row for the Philadelphia Eagles, and they've come out on top in both of those. Uh their kicker, Jake Elliott, hit a game-tying field goal to send it to overtime, 59 yards in the wet. 
um, and the wind. A really impressive kick in that game. San Francisco 49ers led by Brock Purdy uh, are back on track. Christian McCaffrey scoring touchdowns again, uh, which is us- per usual in his time in the NFL. He scores a lot. Uh, they rolled over the Seahawks on Thanksgiving night. The Detroit Lions, after losing this week to the Green Bay Packers at home on Thanksgiving, seven years in a row they have lost on Thanksgiving. It's a Thanksgiving tradition. The Lions lose. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons have now played their way into the uh, number one, like they're the number one seed in the NFC South, so they are the fourth overall seed in the NFC. Um, they're playing decent football in a bad division as they beat up on the New Orleans Saints, who a lot of people thought were going to be the division winners there with Derek Carr. The Dallas Cowboys, as I had mentioned, uh, they're the best record of the wild card teams. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings, led by Josh Dobbs, uh, are back in the playoff hunt after a terrible start with hopes to get Justin Jefferson back after their bye week. Um, so things can only potentially get better for them. And then the Seattle Seahawks uh, rounded out. And some teams under 500 that are in the hunt are the Green Bay Packers, who I mentioned just beat the Lions, the LA Rams, who knocked the absolute socks off of the Arizona Cardinals this week, and then the New Orleans Saints, as I mentioned. But if the Saints catch fire and the Falcons drop out, the Saints then could drop up to the four seed. So we could have a potential like 500 or under 500 potentially division winner uh, that gets the four seed in the NFC. Overall around the league, Deron Bland, quarterback, quarterback, not quarterback, cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys, is the first player in NFL history to record five pick sixes in one season. Yes, he has had five of them. And then Frank Reich is the first coach in the NFL to be fired mid-season in back-to-back seasons. He was fired in Indianapolis last season and then in Carolina this season as Carolina has had the worst start in the NFL at 1-10. and Their owner is impatient and wants to move on to bigger and better things and hopefully salvage Bryce Young as their top overall pick so far this season. For what it's worth, everybody who is concerned about C.J. Stroud and his, um, whatever, his like NFL brain smarts test, uh, there were a lot of concerns about that. He has way outplayed Bryce Young to the point in which he was being considered as an NFL MVP candidate. Um, so just goes to show you that sometimes just because you don't test well doesn't mean you aren't going to be, you know, really good at your job. So there's a, either a life lesson or an NFL list lesson for any of our GMs out there who listen. Yeah. It's any other thoughts? Yeah. I have a couple. Uh, so like you said, Frank Wright got fired. Um, you know, he didn't have the best season, but what were they expecting him to do? Like we've, we've all seen the Carolina Panthers roster, right? It's not good. I would say it's bad, actually. And I don't know what the expectations were for him here, but we've already seen the owner, what Dave Tepper, I think he's fired like four coaches since he took over the team in like five years. You know, at some point it has to be a question of, are you doing what you need to do to hire the right people? And we need to be looking at the GM because if you recall a couple of years ago, this team had Christian McCaffrey and they had DJ Moore and they traded them 
and they have and not they gotten a held lot on back. to Brian Burns instead, and then gave him yeah. a massive contract. Like we're centering around a defensive edge rusher who hasn't been that good this year, yeah. and yet but we like, gave away an All-Pro running back and drafted who, the who smallest did, NFL quarterback on, in history. Who did they even get back for Christian? Caffrey, like who is on their roster now that they traded I don't know for? I don't even remember yeah, because they've made no in, in no impact. And I don't know who traded, their number one pick was that they right? they got out of that. So you traded DJ Moore. Okay, you want to get a quarterback for the future? That's fine. That makes sense to me. But you traded DJ Moore and two first round picks for Bryce Young, and now Bryce Young has uh, the corpse of Adam Thielen to pass to and DJ Chark. And, like, that's it. He doesn't have anyone to protect him. He doesn't have a run game. He doesn't really have anyone to pass to. I'm not sure what they were expecting here, but it seems kind of ridiculous to uh, fire him, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know. It, it seems like a scapegoat move, and the GM is really the guy who should be being looked at. You're not the head coach. Um, and then I wanted to touch on the Bills really quick. I feel like the Bills have been getting a lot of negative press. They fired their offensive coordinator, even though their offense has been fine this season you can look at any advanced metrics and their offense is not that bad uh they are fourth in point differential this year the only teams above them are the cowboys the niners and the ravens who everybody says are super bowl hopefuls they've really just been incredibly unlucky like they're plus 101 and they're six and six Uh, they're not a bad team people will make them out to just be like such a massive failure they just have had bad turnover luck which That'll happen when you have Josh Allen, but I, I think things will shape out. We'll see if they can get it together this year, but I don't think that fans or GMs apparently should overreact in this instance. I don't think they're that much worse than they ever have been. Just things have swung the wrong way for them. So I agree with that for the Buffalo Bills to go back to the Carolina Panthers and what they got for Christian McCaffrey. So they traded for McCaffrey. They got a 2023 second, a third, and a fourth round pick, uh, and a 2024 fourth round pick. So with their second round pick, because I am not going to dig into the stats of an edge rusher or a guard to see how well they've performed so far this season, their second round pick from the San Francisco 49ers was Jonathan Mingo, a wide receiver from Ole Miss. And so far, that wide receiver this season, 28 receptions for 286 yards and no touchdowns. Yeah. Not great. uh, It looks like early on, the 49ers won that trade. Who is their their edge rusher they drafted? They drafted, well, they made a trade with Pittsburgh then with that third round pick. It looks like they swapped those picks and they got DJ Johnson, an edge rusher from Oregon. DJ Johnson. Where are you at, my friend? American football player stats. He has a linebacker. uh, 14 tackles, uh, one tackle for loss, one pass defense. And that is not great. Yeah, so those are my main issues with the, the Panthers, right? It's not the coaching. The coaching could be better. The coaching could always be better on a bad team, right? It's easy to blame the coach when they suck. And when you're good, blame the players. That's how it goes. But I definitely think the main issue is how this roster is constructed total. Like, nobody could even tell you, like, the top three best players on this team. I guess it's Brian Burns. <laughs> I hope it's Brian Burns, how much they've paid him. And then what? Your running backs Adam are Thielen. Chuba Hubbard and Miles Sanders? 
And then Adam Thielen has been like your best player so far yeah. this season. Yeah, it's a it's a mess over there, and I don't know who they're gonna draft to make it better because they don't have a first round. Yeah, so, so good for luck, what good luck it, to them. the Carolina Panthers GM is Scott Fitterer, and he's in his third season. So yeah, he has yeah, been so basically all the years in it's been charge bad. of all of this, and for someone in their third season compared to a coach in their first season. I don't know why we're not getting rid of the general yeah. manager unless he's buddies with Dave Tapper, you know. Yeah, that is the not a shortest, great right? The shortest span for a head coach before he's been fired is 11 games. Yeah. Nathaniel Hackett got more time than that. Urban Meyer got more time than that. Like, come on now. That's crazy. That's all my thoughts. I don't know if you have anything, yeah, Mike, that's... or you're good. No, I don't have anything else. You guys covered it pretty thoroughly. Yeah, that, so that's that's it. I mean... The Minnesota Vikings are somewhat fun again to watch, although we are recording during the Monday tonight. night football game, but, and they have not been fun. Um, if they were playing the Chief- anybody but the Bears, they'd be down three touchdowns. The yeah. Chiefs, like going around, at least the teams that we follow, the Chiefs have been down a couple, like the past couple of weeks, and it, it, three games in a row they didn't score it in the second half which is very uncharacteristic of them they seem to right that ship a little bit against the raiders although midway through the second half or second quarter i was about to message everyone and be like man this team is getting real hard to watch when you're down 14 to nothing to the raiders um but they thankfully turned that around uh and beat the raiders as they're accustomed to doing so uh, yeah there you have yeah, it this uh they need new Wide receivers is what we haven't talked about since we've been oh, man. away from talking about the NFL. But the wide receiver situation is real bad there. And then it's one bad. other thing, you you mentioned it briefly. This is probably one of the most wide open MVP races I have seen. I don't I don't know who it's gonna be. I honestly it's am not probably sure. gonna be Jalen Hurts, right? I would he think he hasn't been that great. Josh Dobbs, anybody? You know, if Josh Dobbs wins out, I say give it to him. I mean, nobody, if, 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 if you watched wants, him play tonight, he might not be the starting quarterback after the bye. Nobody wants to talk about it, clearly. But, I mean, Brock Purdy still has a clear, you know, candidacy to be an MVP so far this season. Um, it feels like we're missing out on the opportunity, right? In this weird, wide-open year where no one's really been that much better than anybody else. Not quarterback, right? Let's go non-quarterback. You got two. I mean, CMC, CMC's got the best, you know, case for anyone. I think. I think Tua has a better case than than Christian. Christian's missed games. He's had some small games. Christian McCaffrey, Tyreek Hill has over two hundred more yards than anybody oh, else in the okay. league. Okay, you said Tua. I was Sorry, like, I didn't mean Tua. Tyreek, not Tua. Tua's been fine. I think we need to, you know, let's get creative with it. Let's look at Christian McCaffrey. Let's look at Tyreek Hill. Let's look at Miles Garrett, right? The Browns are winning games, and they're playing Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback. like Who got hurt this week. So now they're now they're going to their third oh, street. TJ Walker now? Yep. At one point, the Browns were working out Joe Flacco. Like Times are tough in Cleveland. I know it won't happen because it's basically just the quarterback award, but I'd love to see some, uh, some other position players get some shine. Agreed. Speaking of tough times, too, though, also in New York, what we had missed previously, the Jets. Tim I was going to say, Boyle. the fun part was I Tim didn't know Boyle. which team you were going to talk about. 
is our is the starting quarterback for the New York Jets as Aaron Rodgers and I quote has massive guilt over the development of Zach Wilson. Uh, Zach Wilson has now been demoted to the third string quarterback in Detroit as Tim Boyle and Trevor Simeon, I believe, are the two quarterbacks listed ahead of the depth chart of Zach Wilson. And barring any like major setback to either of those players, um, you would have to think that maybe Zach Wilson has played his last down of football as a New York Jet. Um, but... It, it doesn't get much better on the other side of the locker room as all of New York football, and especially the New York football giants, are also reeling after a surprise season last year and a run in the playoffs are playing horrible this year. I mean, Daniel Jones was out for the out for the season now. Uh, you have Tommy DeVito, who lives in his parents' basement, who is now your starting quarterback out there. So, yeah, they lost a tough tough or no they won a tough game 10 to 7 against the patriots this year shout out to the patriots for now benching mac jones again twice this season there's your rundown of the bottom feeders in the nfl i was gonna say speaking of bottom feeders we can roll right into write that down predictions where we are typically bottom feeders but we first have to be educated about mike's stupid rules you you do and and also you're the only one who's a bottom feeder in write the down predictions is you, since you're the only one who uh, hasn't won. But anyway, okay. we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, thing I want to talk about in Mike's stupid rules this week is hook and holds. Um, who if you remember over the last couple of years has been a point of emphasis in the NCAA, and this year they just haven't been getting called and haven't been getting called as flagrant fouls, which if you remember they were flagrant one fouls over the last couple of years. So I did some digging and I don't even see the phrase. I only see the phrase hook and hold once in the entire um, NCAA basketball rule book for this year. And it's in the section about replay reviews. Um, so I'm not sure why it's changed or what's changed, but that's why you're seeing hook and holds called less this year. It's because the, the rule doesn't seem to exist anymore. I can't find it. I can't find why or how it changed. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that's the thought on hook and holds. Is there, there's nothing that a hook and hold is not called out specifically as a rule in text anywhere um, in the rule book. So it's hard to call something you don't define. Wouldn't you say, Wyatt? Yeah, I would agree. That's a pretty quick one. Yeah, I mean, I don't have it's anything just else. There. I, I don't have I don't have a rule to cite to you because there is no rule. So that that is Mike's stupid rules this week. So keep an eye on that, see what develops, um, and we'll go from there. Um, now we can move on to our accountability session where we get to hear about how Kyle is bad. Um, so uh, first coming off the board is a prediction from me. I am going to predict that the oh I sorry I predicted that the Cyclones beat the Big 12 preseason projection of 10th. As we already talked about, um, they finished 4th, which is better than 10th, so I get a ding-a-ding-ding. ding But it's all downhill from here for all of us. Um, first bad one is that, um, Ariane, you predicted that the Cyclones would go to the Big 12 championship game, which they didn't, so... Meh. Meh. A couple weeks later, I predicted that the Cyclones would go to the Big 12 championship game, which they didn't. So, nah. 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 
And Kyle, you predicted that Iowa State would win the ESPN Invitational, which they didn't do and didn't even really come close to doing. So, eh. Nah. Uh, that's it for our accountability session. Ariane, you want to start getting some predictions back on the board? Yeah. So you may have noticed, I was pretty subtle about it, so maybe you didn't. I'm not feeling very confident about our basketball <laughs> season. Uh, and we didn't even touch on the women's side, which has not been going well they, They've been worse. They've been, been worse bad. than the men. They've been yeah. bad. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw a prediction on, uh, which is basically just the, I think last week I made the prediction that both teams won 20 games. I'm going to go ahead and go back on that and say, I would stay Basketball will have a losing record in conference in men and women's basketball. Hmm. Right now, the Bartovic predicts the men to be exactly 500. Um, I'm between a double or a triple for this. I don't know. What do you guys think? Triple. Oh, great. Now I have to break the tie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's... I don't know. That one's tough. Like, if if you would have asked me that before I watched the past week, it'd be a much different story. But I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go with double. I'm a little bit more optimistic that the men are gonna get to ten wins in conference. I'll go double. Um, my prediction: I am going to predict that the Cyclones will win their ball game. Um, we don't know what that'll be yet. Um. I'm seeing quite a few projections uh, as a 2018 repeat Cyclones versus the Memphis Tigers, the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. Um, anyway, we don't know what the bowl game is yet, but I'm going to predict that the Viking or the Vikings, uh, the Cyclones win it, whatever it is. Fun fact, uh, I actually saw a post about this. Um, the University of Memphis is now going to take ownership of that stadium from the city, I believe. Uh, and they're doing like a bunch of renovations to it too. So that won't happen for this bowl game, but in the future, it'll be a nicer stadium for bowl games. Nice. I'm going to say single because I don't know. I don't know who I it agree. is. Though. It's going to happen. They will either win or lose that game. We're going yep. to win. I'm fine with single. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? We do. Uh, he is um, watching what he saw from his Packers on Thanksgiving against the Lions, and he is going to predict that the Packers make the wild card, either knocking off the Vikings or the Seahawks for that last wild card spot. If I go to ESPN's football power index, this I assume the odds aren't good, but I guess I don't know. I what doubt they're, they're that bad though either. I was gonna say, how insane are they? Yeah. Football Power Index for the Green Bay Packers shows that they have a 42% chance of making the playoffs. That's pretty so, good. So, better than I thought. Hmm. So, single? Yeah, I was kind of sure. thinking to be a yeah, single. Yeah, sure. Single. I am going to predict that the 49ers make the Super Bowl. According to, again, the Football Power Index, there's a 37% chance that the 49ers make the Super Bowl. I think personally it's a little bit lower than that, so I'm willing to give Wyatt a double. They yeah, are the favorite, yes. That's probably a double. I mean, the the game is... The championship game is probably going to be Philadelphia versus San Francisco again, a repeat. Hopefully they have a quarterback this time. Yeah, right. I know. Which makes it in- more interesting, but this is probably a double still. Yeah. 
I like it. it, What do you got, Kyle? It's it's hard to get to that championship game anyway. So Mm. Uh, I am predicting that the Broncos are going to flip the script from the early season and make the playoffs. You're hopping on that bandwagon with Josh. He predicted that a couple weeks ago. Did he? Yeah, he did. You can. It's it's allowed to predict something somebody else predicted. That's allowed. They Um, have looked good for the past couple weeks. I'm, I'm hopping on the bandwagon. Just let it ride. As you said, as you said, I suck at predictions, so I'm just trying to get some some ones that'll, you know, help me get closer to a win this season. Yeah. So according to FPI, there's a 30 percent chance that the Broncos make the playoffs just because the AFC is so competitive. Um, That's higher than I thought it would be. I agree. I'm thinking double for this. or we think in triple. I don't think it's triple territory. It's darn near close, though. I'll still go double. That's. That's a tough one. Double it is. I say triple. Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. So I just said it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just have to be different. Yeah. That was a low scoring rendition of Write That Down Predictions with a double, two singles, and two more doubles, which concludes Write That Down Predictions, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311Cast, episode 248. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our socials at 8311Cast, wherever you find us. Signing off for the 8311Cast, we have your hosts... Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. Ariane Barry, And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!